The views and opinions expressed on Unlock Your Wealth Radio are those of the host, guests, and callers only and are not necessarily the views of Unlock Your Wealth Radio, Heather Wagonalls, or Success Publishing International. More willpower than a barefoot woman at a shoe sale. Able to stretch a single paycheck for an entire month. Makes money concepts easier than third grade math. Introducing your purveyor of prosperity, Heather Wagonall. Work all day, stress all night. Take your mind off your money and focus on your life. Money don't matter all the stuff it bought. It's the way you think, not what you've got. Yeah. Unlock your wealth radio starts now. Welcome to the show. I am Heather Wagonhalls, your hostess with the Financial Moses. I am flanked by the maestro of moolah, Michael Terry. Hey, folks. And we have an amazing show coming up for you. This segment is sponsored in part by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com forward slash unlock your wealth and click to download over 150,000 titles to choose from from your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Yay. All right. So we have a great show for you. I am so thrilled to have a returning guest and one of our top downloaded guests, as a matter of fact, uh, David Kelly. He's in the top 10 of all time downloads, and he is the founder of the Atlas Society and is retiring this year from his role as chief information officer or chief intellectual officer. I'm sorry, CIO, chief intellectual officer. Uh, But we're going to talk to him about retirement. Environment and what that means for him. And uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about the importance of the individual because, again, we cannot have financial freedom unless we have personal and political freedom. We also have the third key in the Keys to Riches financial wellness series and our moolah word of the day. Dreams with deadlines. Yes, very good. So, uh, moolah word of the day, would you like to know what that is? Financial plan. And that kind of ties in very well with this week's key because this week's key is about goal setting uh, or, well, specifically goal achieving because anybody can set goals. But here at the Unlock Your Wealth Foundation, we kind of like to achieve them. Mm-hmm. A little different. Yeah. It's, a, it's kind of a play on words, but not really because words mean things to the extent that we give them meaning. And like I said, anybody can set goals, but not everybody achieves them. So we have a structure and a strategy for that. But our word, our moolah word is financial plan. So this is a budget or investment strategy that helps an individual take the necessary steps to achieve his or her financial goals. Financial plans may be constructed for a number of reasons, but they are commonly done for retirement planning. They may factor in income, investments, forecasts, and supplemental advice. Some financial plans are done by licensed professionals that have experience in investing and guiding individuals to make the right decision. And you can seek out licensed financial planners to do that. Or you can create your own, do your own due diligence, learn a strategy and do your homework and then 
make it happen. So uh, if you don't know something, and we're going to talk about that in next week's key, knowledge is power, not knowing is powerful. When we do our knowledge checklist and our assessment with our three, five financial strategy to determine what it is that we need to know um, and what areas we need to be uh, covering when it comes to the best type of comprehensive financial planning we could do for ourselves. So we'll talk about that. But this week's key, as we roll into this, uh, has to do with having a financial plan. And, uh, you know, so this show was born on somebody else's show because the Keys to Riches came to life on the Financial Fitness Forum. And one of the things that my co-host, Jeff Cutler, used to always say was that uh, people don't plan to fail. They fail to plan. Nice. And... If you think about it, you know, we we all want to succeed, but because of this, you know, brain bias that we have and the structure of our information processing, it gets in the way of our ability to plan. And so what happens is when we think about financial planning, we think about something that's beyond our scope or capability, and then we get scared. And so what happens when we get scared? We do one of three things. What are those three things? Freeze or flee. Very good, Miguel. Applause, applause. Yes, yeah, so, so you passed the test for this week, so we'll keep you around for another week, it looks like. <laughs> so, yeah, so the, the, the challenge becomes we keep avoiding things, but in our first key, we took that blanket of denial off. We cast it aside. We're scared, but we're moving forward anyway. Because remember, the definition of courage is not the absence of fear, but the acknowledgement of fear and moving forward anyway. And so all we have to do, and we're going to learn more about this in next week's key, is start identifying where we want to go. We have to create some plan. You know, uh, another thing that Jeff Cutler used to say is some plans don't work. No plan never works. So we have to have some plan. And this takes me back to something that my father would say. My father would say, do something, even if it's wrong. Because if you sit in the same spot, the world is moving without you. And so you'll actually be losing ground, even though you think you're standing in place. Nothing is ever the same. It's always slightly different, although it might seem the same. The habits, the patterns, the brain wants to keep that things the same because learning new stuff can be scary and challenging and we might not be good at it. We might fail and, oh my gosh, that's a bad thing for some people. And they don't understand that failure is a part of success. It's not the opposite of success. And so um, it's critical that we start somewhere, you know, because my dad uh, with his do something, even if it's wrong, if, if I take a step in any direction, it's a step. And now I'm in a fundamentally different place. Even if I failed, I learned something and I'm in a new place to take a new decision, a new step and make a new decision. And so this week's key dreams with deadlines is about understanding where we want to go. And we're going to work the system in such a way that we work with the brain and how it thinks and creates patterns and habits and behaviors so we can be successful at achieving our goals as opposed to just setting our goals without a real strategy to put in place to achieve them. So if you want to learn more about that, all you have to do is visit keystoriches.com and listen to the full broadcast of, of this week's key, or you can take the goal achievement strategy boot camp. And you can find that at unlockyourwealth.com forward slash goal achievement strategy. And you can sign up to take that today. And the goal achievement strategy evolved from this week's key. So moving right along, 
how about our cool guests that we have coming on? So I have known David Kelly for almost a decade now. I'm very excited. Uh, the gentleman that connected us was a pretty exciting person to have connected us. And that was the late Dr. Nathaniel Brandon. He was the father of the self-esteem movement. And he's kind of the one that introduced me to the Atlas Society, which used to be the Center for Objectivist Studies. And David Kelly founded that. So to give you a little bit of background, there is a schism, if you will, between the uh, purists and the reformists. So it's kind of like the Catholics and the Protestants. Yeah. And so Ayn Rand had always known or acknowledged that she was limited in some of her areas of her philosophy. And David Kelly felt that, that she had intended for the system of objectivism to be open and worked on and improved and available to everyone. And other folks didn't seem to feel that way. And so he left to go do his own thing and created the Atlas Society. And here we are 30 years later, we're celebrating his retirement and all of his contributions. And there's so many great things going on at the Atlas Society to help celebrate the individual. And I think that that's what we need to be focusing on is that celebration of the individual. And so how do we do that? What does that mean? Why is it important to me on a money management radio show to have to talk about individualism? And the only way for us to achieve financial freedom is that we must have personal and political freedom. And that begins with the rights of the individual. Because if, if we are limited in the jobs that we can go get or the education that we pursue or um, the ways in which we have uh, savings and investing instruments available to us, if that's limited by laws and regulation, then we cannot create a financial future for ourselves, be able to take care of ourselves like we should. Because we can't depend on the collectivist that's going on right now with, for example, Social Security. It's created this mental dependence for people. And so that's why they haven't saved until retirement. And yet, they, and then they think that Uncle Sam's going to take care of them. But because of the enormity of people that are in the system, everybody just gets a small piece. And so it's enough to maybe buy dog food or, you know, to support them in communal living. So if they want to live some other way, they have to do that. And David Kelly is going to give us some value and understanding as to why the rights of the individual are so important. So let's welcome David to the broadcast. Welcome to the show, David. It's so exciting to have you back on Unlock Your Wealth Radio. Thanks, Heather. It's great to be here. So we're at a really interesting time with uh, the events that have happened uh, this past week. And we had the Atlas Society Gala celebrating 60 years of Atlas Shrugged. So um, what is so significant about 60 years and Atlas Shrugged? Well, uh, <clears throat> the single most significant thing is the fact that it is still in print and uh, selling in large numbers 60 years after it was first first published. And that and that's because what that indicates is the enormous power of Ayn Rand's ideas and of the story to capture generation after generation of people. So it's. Um, you know, a lot of books, you think back to what, what were the bestsellers in 1957. My favorite analogy was uh, Peyton Place, which was a kind of a yeah, somewhat uh, a lurid potboiler. Um, it was quite scandalous in the day. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I doubt anyone remembers that uh, may still be in print, but boy, <laughs> <laughs> actually, Michael's waving his hand. He's close to your age, so <laughs> I remember it. Yeah, he, he remembers it well. Suzanne Plachette, right? I think that was it. No, she was the movie, or was she the author? I can't remember. Yeah. Hey, I was only ten, so or eight, so um, I was I wasn't allowed to read things like that back then. <laughs> Well, I think that um, what's so important are some of the ideals that are communicated in that book. And um, I think that when it comes to uh, building financial freedom, you have to have personal and political freedom. And and I think that Ayn Rand, in addition to being a champion of the individual, really articulated that in her novels and with some of the work in her philosophy. Uh, so can you touch on a little bit of why it's so important that we protect the rights of the individual? Well, the underlying reason... Um that it, it is spelled out in Ayn Rand's straight philosophical writings and is dramatized in in the novel and now the shrug and her other novels is individuals act by reason we have minds we have the capacity to think and plan and invent and imagine new ways of living that's unique to human beings with their um, with the power of reason, the capacity of reason. and But that is a, an attribute that individuals have. There's no such thing as a collective mind. There's cooperation among individuals through language and organizations and law and so forth, contracts. But it comes down to individuals combining, talking, agreeing to contracts, etc. And at the base... Each individual needs the freedom to act on his mind. If you impose restrictions on what people can do, other than restrictions on violating other people's rights, of course, but if you impose restrictions um, on what kinds of contracts they can sign, what kinds of things they can say or think, then you are, you are squashing the capacity of reason to that extent. And so, and that's the negative side, but the positive side is everything we have comes from people acting on ideas that they have as individuals. That's where, that's the essence of entrepreneurship, coming up with an idea for something and then planning and putting those plans into action through your, uh, through your efforts. So uh, both the philosophical, uh, understanding of the mind and of human action and the evidence of economics and of history tells us that um, a condition of freedom is a necessity for a flourishing human life. I, I agree with you, and I think that people don't really understand that. I think that when we have people that want to impose regulation, they feel like um, – I think that the assumption is that people cannot think for themselves, and they must be told what to do. And I think that that crushes people's spirit. Would you agree with that? Or Well, I, it crushes their spirit, but it also um, – it can also – I mean, that's certainly one thing. I mean, look, look at the um, – 
um, the dissidents in totalitarian and, and uh, authoritarian countries who are, you know, it's incredible how brave they are, but they often suffer horrible, horrible consequences simply from speaking their minds. But in, also in, in, in freer countries um, like the United States or Western Europe um, or uh, East Asia that have you know, degrees of freedom, but also a lot of controls, what you see is people start taking things for granted. And, you know, if you particularly uh, let's just talk about entitlements for something like welfare for a minute. Mm -hmm. If you um, <clears throat> if the government implements a, a program like as it has with, say, Social Security, well, then people say, OK, um, they get used to it and they think, OK, so I don't I don't have to save as much as I would if there weren't Social Security. And so I can relax. I can chill. I can count on mommy and daddy uh, in Washington um, to, um, yeah, they take some of my money, then they give me an allowance. But, hey, um, I'm afraid of taking risks for myself. People are afraid of, sometimes of thinking for themselves. They, they like getting something for nothing. I mean, these are human temptations. I don't, I don't think they're admirable. I think they can be resisted, but they are there in human nature. So uh, that's one of the problems of, of um, for those of us who are looking to try to bring about a you know, freer country and get rid of some of the regulations and the, the transfer payments, the welfare payments, uh, that people are just settled into a certain way of functioning. Mm -hmm. And they, they, they can't, they're not... They're not willing to think outside the box they're in. You are listening to David Kelly on Unlock Your Wealth Radio. And this segment is sponsored in part by KeepMyID.org, the only service that actually prevents identity theft. All others are just monitoring services. Put your credit on lockdown today with their special offer for Unlock Your Wealth Radio listeners. Go to unlockyourwealthradio.com forward slash KeepMyID and start pr protecting your financial future right now. So when we talk about these entitlements, I guess we should probably delineate because of the whole, because of the comment you said about free, um, that, you know, if somebody gives you a gift, that's different than an entitlement. So I think that we should probably be clear on that. Um, you know, oh, absolutely. Yes. You know, receiving um, gifts is, is, is a good thing. That's sh someone showing you that they care about you or they want to recognize you or celebrate you in some sort of a way by a kind gesture like that. But, but entitlement is something different. Yes. Uh, a, a gift is something we do. That's part of um, uh, our social lives, both giving and receiving. And um, also um, voluntary charitable giving to help, um, you know, support hospitals or art or um, poor students who uh, couldn't otherwise um, we have trouble affording the education they, they could make use of. And that's another thing that is fine because we are social animals. Um, individualism never, no reasonable form of individualist philosophy that would deny that. Uh, what we want is voluntary interactions between, between people, whether they're market-based and, um, you know, literal exchanges or whether they're uh, other forms of, of, uh, interaction. It, the problem with entitlements is the idea that um, it's a right that the government, that you, like a right to health care. Mm -hmm. Take a pretty important example right now. Um, 
when we talk about rights, <clears throat> if you mean if we mean the right to life or liberty, what it means is for for me, speaking for from my standpoint as as a person, my right to life means no one can assault me, should assault me. They're, that's wrong and should be punished. My right to liberty, no one should interfere by using coercion or tying me down or throwing me in prison or whatever. Um, and unless I've committed a crime, that's different. But I mean, if I'm just uh, going about my ordinary business, and so my my rights are respected by anyone who does not do those things to me. But if I have a right to health care, then and I can't provide for myself um, whatever level of health care is considered to be a right, then someone's got to provide it. Doctors have to provide it. They. Um, someone's got to pay for it. So it comes down to I'm I'm claiming a right to the wealth of taxpayers and to the talent and um, uh, integrity of doctors. And I don't have a right. I don't own those people. So mm-hmm. that's why uh, entitlements are wrong. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense when you explain it in, in those terms. So you wrote a book on unrugged individualism. And I really loved this book because I think it's kind of one of those um, when we when we think about the philosophy of objectivism, objectivism, I think it's almost like that phantom fifth pillar because we, we usually talk about the four pillars of objectivism. But I think it's kind of a phantom fifth pillar. And that's this concept of benevolence. And one of the biggest myths I think about people or that scare people from supporting objectivism because they like everything about it. But then they hear the naysayers um, say things like, oh, well, it's only a philosophy for the rich people. It only benefits the rich people. And you talk about this concept of benevolence. And can you explain a little bit how, um, since we've been talking about entitlements, what the, what the structure of benevolence is and, and why it's truly a philosophy for everyone? Um, yes, I, I, uh, of course, yes, absolutely. I, I, you're, to start with, you're completely right that um, people tend to look at Ayn Rand's writings and at, at objectivist philosophy and say, well, it's all about being selfish. And that means dog eat dog, you know, look out for number one, screw everyone else, pardon my French. And the uh, and that's absolutely not what Rand meant. She meant living your best life, living, but pursuing your happiness. Um, yes, as your highest priority, highest value and doing so proudly and um, and rationally. But as far as benevolence goes, um, the, the analogy I like to use is with production. Um, Rand was was very clear and, and very emphatic that uh, a central part of a good life is creating value, producing, whether whatever profession, whatever line of work, and not just work, it, raising children, um, um, volunteer work in, in various activities. All of this is creating value in the world. Well, and that's great. And that's what all, all of her heroes uh, are, are doing in her, in her novels. And that's what inspires us because they're following their dreams and they're making a difference. Well, benevolence is the same policy, but toward other people. We, we are, as I keep saying, we're social animals. Um, we want to have good relationships with people. We want to be able to do business we want to learn from other people. We want to um, have friends. We want to fall in love. We want to get married. We want to have kids. 
And how, how does that happen? Well, it's just as with production, you're not going to start a new business unless you get off your butt and, and go out and, and do some things in the world, take some chances. Well, in the same way, you're not going to have friends and you're not going to have um, all the other kinds of relationships you want unless, again, you get out there. And the way you do that is you have to uh, deal with people in a certain way. You, uh, benevolence means recognizing that other people are as real as you are. And just as you are pursuing your self-interest and happiness, they are pursuing it. So you look for win-win situations. You treat them with respect. Um, where ideas differ, if you're engaged in a conversation, you listen. Because that person's ideas come from the same ultimate same source as your ideas from your mind. Uh, so, and charity, as I was saying before, helping people out of generosity, if you have the means, um, is fine. It's not a duty. Um, that's the that's the idea that Ayn Rand is criticizing with what the altruist approach to ethics. But it is a value. Uh, and, you know, we all, there, it fits in perfectly with, with a you know, an orientation toward and primacy of your own life. That, that's why I called my book Unrugged Individualism, The Selfish Basis of Benevolence. I, I love the approach. And, and I think that re it really um, explains the exchange that goes on between two people. And when you care about someone, you care about all of them, whether their opinions are identical to yours or they differ from yours, you still, I think, respect them in that same way. And you respect them to be individuals and, and to not just like everything you like and hate everything you hate. And, and Exactly. I, and, and, and I like how, how you communicated that. Now, uh, one of my concerns is that you have uh, announced a retirement from the Atlas Society, an organization which you founded to help promote open objectivism and build on the ideas that Ayn Rand um, put forth uh, in this world before she passed. And so what is next for David Kelly? Well, thank you. I, uh, I, I am planning, I've been, uh, I started the organization in 1990, so it's been almost 30 years, uh, over two thirds of my working life. And I have worked as my, 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 my life is about philosophical thought and discovery and, and writing. And I have done some of that while, uh, a good deal of it, um, while I've, I've, I've been, uh, full-time and often for most of the time CEO of the Atlas Society. Um, it, you know, it's, I, I need, I want more time. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I, the retirement is about being able to um, get back um, in a fuller way to the uh, kind of work I was doing prior to um, starting the organization. Um, I have ideas in, uh, particularly in my, in my specialty in philosophy is epistemology that's questions about knowledge and which i've written quite a bit about but i have a lot more and so i want to develop those i also have a logic textbook it's called the art of reasoning it's now in its fourth edition but i'm i've already started working with the publisher on the fifth edition so i want to continue that as well and i might you know i might 
I might take a get him a little more rest. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know you you have worked quite like crazy, and it's tough. Uh, you know, I get it when you are the cook, the dishwasher, and the maitre d. It's difficult to be able to sit back and focus on your ideas and really evolve them and develop them like you have in the past. So I'm excited to see what comes forth and what's next for David Kelly, and I'm so excited um, for. Uh, for your next evolution, as they say. And I'm also so very grateful for the efforts that you have put forth over the past three decades to open up objectivism, to help question and evolve objectivism to being something that everybody can apply somewhere, some way to their lives to help make their lives much better. Well, thank you, Heather. And um, it's, it's been great to work with you. Um, you've been a speaker, um, supporter, advisor, and now with Atlasphere, um, I think the uh, Atlas Society is going to definitely continue uh, uh, a strong connection. Yay. Well, I'm so excited. So if folks want to find the Atlas Society website and want to read more of your works, where can they go? Uh, Our website is atlassociety.org. And um, we have... uh, a page with our publications. They're all on that, or you can just go straight to Amazon and search for my name or for the Atlas Society. And um, you can also, on our website, sign up for our email bulletin, which um, will then um, get you access to our to our bulletin that comes out rough, usually once a week with news and updates um, on, on things we're doing. So it's a great way to keep in touch. Outstanding. Well, thank you so much for being a part of today's show. And for those of you who are driving around without a pencil, never fear. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com is here where you can visit David's show page and click on the links to the Atlas Society, all of his books, and so much more. For the maestro of moolah, Michael Terry, I'm Heather Wagonhalls. Now go out and unlock your wealth today. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com is produced by Heather Wagonhalls and the Unlock Your Wealth Foundation. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com and its affiliates are copyrighted 2017 with all rights reserved. For more information on the Keys to Riches Financial Wellness Series, please visit our website at www.unlockyourwealth.com.